Keeping Democracy Alive with Bert Cohen. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. So yes, there's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. That people don't feel that they can do very much. You know what this is? This is a very Hamiltonian system. Alexander Hamilton being the guy here in a very un-Jeffersonian. In the case of the Republicans, it's dramatically the opposite. Uh, But even in the case of the Democrats. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans in the South. America's fascists are those people who think that Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. What we're seeing is a financial sector that's uh, gotten out of hand. The shooting, the violence, that is not a drug problem. That is, in fact, the drug policy problem. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. Across the entire world, everyone knows Israel as a Jewish state. It seems like as the years go by and their governments and military move even further to the right, more and more people are at least beginning to openly criticize actions by the Israeli government in their fight against Palestinians. Of course, the unwavering support of Israel by Jewish Americans has been as essential as it has been assumed to be solid since Israel's founding in 1948. The Israel lobby in Washington has been perhaps the most powerful of all pressure groups on Capitol Hill. The United States and Israel have recently agreed on a record $38 billion package of U.S. military aid enshrining defense funding for Washington's closest Middle East ally for the next decade. The deal represents the biggest pledge of U.S. military assistance made to any country. Nearly 10 months of drawn-out aid negotiations have underscored continuing friction between President Barack Obama and Israeli President Benjamin Netanyahu over the last uh, year's U.S.-led nuclear deal with Israel's arch-foe Iran, an accord that the Israel leader opposed. But the right-wing Israeli premier decided it would be best to forge a new arrangement with Obama, who leaves office, of course, in January, rather than hoping for better terms from the next U.S. administration, which I think he would probably get. But despite increased funding under the new package, Republican Senator Lindsey Graham, a key pro-Israel lawmaker, said that while the agreement was deserving of respect, unquote, it was too restrictive and not generous enough to meet Israel's military needs. Of course, congressional approval is still needed each year for actual disbursement of the aid to Israel as part of the annual budget process. Historically, Congress rubber stamps all aid to uh, requests for Israel. Will it be the same this year? Are Jewish Americans still as totally united for Israel, right or wrong? What is happening in the increasingly troubled relationship between American Jews and Israel? That's the topic of an article in an upcoming uh, issue of a magazine called Issues, the Journal of the American Council for Judaism, by our guest today, Alan C. Brownfield, a nationally syndicated column who serves as associate editor for the Lincoln Review, and he's editor of that magazine, Issues. The author of five books, he has served on the staff of the U.S. Senate, House of Representatives, and the office of the Vice President. He argues that, quote, Israel is fast becoming a source of division rather than unity for American Jewry. Alan Bromfield, thanks so much for being with us on Keeping Democracy Alive. 
Well, my pleasure to be with you, Bert. My own sense is that there is a pretty clear divide among Jewish Americans. This is just from my own experience. Over the age of 70, support continues unabated. But under 70, it seems like a different story. It seems like a fairly clear dividing line. Does that jibe with what you're finding? And if so, why do you think that is? Well, I think this is, is definitely the case. Uh, a book has just been published that has been widely discussed called Trouble in the Tribe, the American-Jewish Conflict over Israel by Professor Dove Waxman of Northeastern University. And he shows that Israel is becoming a source of division yes. within the American Jewish community rather than a source of unity. And he cites recent Pew Research polls that show that only 25% of Jewish Americans aged 18 to 29 believe that Israel is making a sincere effort to make peace with Palestinians. And only 30% of young American Jews think that caring about Israel is essential to being Jewish. Uh, interesting. So Israel is dividing the American Jewish community rather than uniting it. Yeah, when I was growing up Jewish in the 1950s and 60s, it was impressed on us in religious school that the state of Israel was central to Judaism. And I, I've wondered if, since most of us were not Orthodox and did not keep kosher anymore like previous generations, that allegiance to the state of Israel kind of filled in the blank for lack of those traditional parts of Jewish identity. Your thoughts on that? Well, first, let, let me point out the, the viewpoint of the American Council for Judaism which I represent. The American Council for Judaism opposes Zionism. Our view is that Judaism is a religion of universal values, not a nationality. Right. That American Jews are American by nationality right. and Jews by religion, just as other Americans are Protestants, Catholics, or, or Muslims. Sure. Zionism argues that all Jews living outside of Israel are in exile, right. and its basic goal is to have all Jews emigrate to Israel. Mm. Our view is that French Jews are French, English Jews are English, American Jews are American, and Judaism is a religion. What, what about that idea that, you know, that I had that you know, since so many American Jews didn't keep kosher, didn't go to, to shul all that often, that believing in Israel sort of filled in the blank for these old traditions that our grandparents uh, revered. Well, well, that's right, Bert. For many, for many American Jews, support for Israel has become a substitute right. for religion. What some have called Israelatry. Yeah. Israelatry, like idolatry, similar to the golden calf, <laughs> worshiping not God, but the state of Israel. And I would like to 
bring to your re- listeners' attention another new book that has just been published called What is Modern Israel? This is by Professor Yaakov Rapkin, an Orthodox Jew, who is a professor of history at the University of Montreal. He argues that Zionism is a complete break with Judaism and with the Jewish religious tradition. In his view, which is the Orthodox Jewish view, the religious idea of a Jewish return to Palestine has nothing to do with political Zionism. It holds that the idea of a return must be part of a messianic project rather than human initiative. The Zionist notion of the Jewish nationality, he says, has no legitimate basis. And he quotes an Orthodox rabbi, Jehiel Weisberg, who said, Jewish nationality is different from that of all nations in the sense that it is uniquely spiritual, and that it is spirituality, is nothing but the Torah. So Zionism is a departure from traditional Jewish belief in a universal God. And I think that many American Jews and Jews in other Western countries turn to Zionism in the wake of the Nazi persecution of the Jews. Of course. Before Hitler and before the Nazis, there was very little support for Zionism among Jews in America and other Western countries. So it is a very brief phenomenon, this embrace of Israel. It goes back to 1948, and I think it is really coming to an end now. Well, that's going to be hard to hear for a lot of people. People, you know, once they believe in something, a golden calf, whatever, it's mighty hard to let go of that. If you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, Keeping Democracy Alive. Our guest is Alan Bronfield. We're talking about uh, kind of slipping away American Jewish support for the state of Israel. And you talk about nationalism. I've read a fair amount about the First World War, as listeners might know. Maybe I'm obsessed with it. I don't know. But it was largely about the rise of nationalism in the 19th century and struggles between those new nationalisms and the great powers using these new nationalisms against one another to yield that horrible mechanized killing in that war. And as I'm sure you know, you know, around 1915 or so, the British got involved in the division of the Ottoman Empire, the Palestinian part, and they uh, talked about uh, inserting a Jewish homeland. And uh, that was part of their power grab, quite frankly. And today, here we are well into the 21st century. It seems once again, the great powers have invested heavily in uh, one side or the other between Israel and its neighbors, with the huge new $38 billion package of military aid to Israel by the U.S., and the powerful but rather frightened Saudis on one side and Russia and Iran on the other. And the choice between uh, being between the two militarists in the American presidential election, how dangerous is it that things after the election and with all this tremendous aid could... Uh, 
really blow up and that, and that you know, Israel could be the uh, locus like Serbia was for the First World War? Well, the First World War, uh, well, it's very interesting that you, you make that point, Bert, because Zionism really was a part of the growth of European nationalism yes. in the 19th century. Yes, exactly. When nationalism was growing up in Russia, in Poland, in other countries in Eastern Europe where there were large Jewish populations, Jews in those countries were excluded from that emerging nationalism. Yes. They were not excluded from the emerging nationalism in Italy or France or Switzerland or Sweden, and they did not become enamored of Jewish nationalism in Western countries where Jews had equal rights of citizenship. Zionism emerged in those countries in Eastern Europe where Jews were not part of the emerging nationalism, so they created a nationalism of their own. In this sense, Zionism has much more in common with the emerging 19th century nationalisms in Europe than it does with ancient Jewish tradition. I couldn't agree more, so it seems. And that is some dangerous stuff, that that, uh, nationalism. Uh, Given the unity behind the state of Israel that I experienced in the 50s and 60s, I was surprised to read that you say that Jewish division over Israel is historically the norm. Uh, We had been united for a long time. And you point out that criticism of Zionism, the movement creating the state of Israel, calling on all Jews to... uh, return, I put that in quotes, uh, to uh, the, the land of Israel, that, that criticism of Zionism is sharply criticized, or, or that Zionism was criticized from the start. Tell us about how Reformed Judaism was opposed to this nationalism as early as 1885. Well, Reformed Judaism really was opposed to this idea even before 1885. Uh-huh. In, in 1841, Rabbi Gustav Posnansky of Charleston, South Carolina, spoke at the dedication ceremony of Temple Beth Elohim, which is the first Reformed temple in America. And he said, this country is our Palestine. This city is our Jerusalem. This house of God is our temple. So there was no idea that American Jews were anything but American, and that Judaism was a religion which could be practiced in America as well as any place in the world. They rejected the idea of a return to Palestine. What you refer to in 1885 was the Pittsburgh platform of the Union of American Hebrew Congregations. Reform group. It emphasized that Reform Judaism denied the idea of Jewish nationality and opposed nationalism of any kind. It stated, and this is a quote, we recognize in the era of a universal culture of heart and intellect the approaching realization of Israel's great messianic hope for the establishment of the kingdom of truth, justice, and peace among all men. We consider ourselves no longer a nation, but a religious community. 
and therefore expect neither a return to Palestine nor a sacrificial worship under the sons of Aaron nor the restoration of any of the laws concerning the Jewish state. So that was said in 1885. Until the rise of the Nazis, Reform Judaism maintained that position. Then it departed from its original principles. Now, the organization with which I'm associated, Mm -hmm. the American Council for Judaism, maintains that older Reform Jewish idea, and it's my belief that this will become the dominant idea in America, in England, in France, in other Western countries again. Wow, certainly, I, I expect that to happen. I mean, I, I do believe that there are certain inevitabilities in history. Sometimes, well, in fact, they always take a lot longer than I would figure. But uh, the, the things are changing. And yet, as, as you know, we people, Jewish Americans, who, you know, are not Zionists, we, uh, I, I like to believe that, and I think it's true, somewhere in the Bible it said something about that we are supposed to be citizens of where we are. Uh, you, you discovered uh, some, uh, you know, some people who now have allegiance to two states, and they, a lot of Jewish Americans think this is okay and even a good thing, and a lot of Reformed Jews even. They, they have allegiance to America and to Israel. You discovered some interesting observations on this topic from uh, Irving Lehman, who was chief judge of the New York State Supreme Court back in 1917. That's way back at the time of World War I. Yes. That's what, that's what many feared, is that the creation of a Jewish state would create dual loyalties. And it's incredible that Israeli flags are found in many American synagogues. Oh, I know. That Jonathan Pollard, an American who spied for Israel has been embraced by many Jewish organizations. Uh, it is uh, an, unfortunate, an unfortunate state of affairs when nationalism replaces God and religion. I mean, Judaism believes that all men and women are created in the image of God. Judaism believes in justice for all people. Mm-hmm. Yet the state of Israel is occupying the West Bank and East Jerusalem in violation of international law. On the West Bank, hundreds of thousands of Jewish settlers have full rights to vote, full legal rights as Israeli citizens. Hundreds of thousands of Palestinians with whom they live have no rights. This is the opposite of justice. And this is what is inflaming so many American Jews, particularly younger American Jews, to be very alienated from this state. But let me mention that something that was just written, September 15th, hundreds of Israeli artists, and intellectuals urge Jews around the world to challenge the Israeli policy toward the Palestinians. 
These signatories include 48 winners of Israel's most prestigious awards, the Israel Prize and the Emmet Prize, seven high-ranking Israeli military officers, 20 former ambassadors, the well-known writers David Grossman and Amos Oz, and what they said is, the prolonged occupation is inherently oppressive for Palestinians and fuels mutual bloodshed. It undermines the moral and democratic fabric of the state of Israel and hurts its standing in the community of nations. Their organization is called Save Israel, Stop the Occupation, Mm. and it laments the fact that so many Jews in Western countries are silent as Israel really violates Judaism's moral law. Yeah, interesting. No doubt you have heard, well, Israel has to defend itself. These, a lot of the Palestinians, the Hamas, uh, other groups are terrorists. They've launched rockets into Israel, and Israel erected a big wall. It makes life exceedingly difficult for Palestinians who want to work in Israel. You know, and, and people say, well, Israel has to defend itself. What I come back to on that is that you're talking about nationalism. You're not talking about Judaism. You're talking about nationalism. And there really is a very, very big difference. Well, you know, the sad, a sad thing, Bert, is that the religious extremism that is growing up in Israel definitely has a racist oh, no tone. Doubt. No doubt. A best-selling book called The King's Torah, written by several right-wing rabbis, was a bestseller. And it goes so far as to say that the biblical commandment, thou shalt not kill, only applies to other Jews. Yeah, I'd heard that. It has nothing to do with non-Jews. Mm. Uh, mm. It, is, it is incredible. I agree that Israel has a right to defend itself, but the West Bank is not Israel. Right. The West Bank is occupied territory. Israel has occupied this territory for 49 years. We call what Palestinians do in reaction terrorism, but this is a very, very difficult question. You may remember the movie a number of years ago, The Battle of Algiers. Oh, my goodness, yes. Great movie, really powerful. Go ahead. Well, here the French occupied Algeria. Yes. France was one of the most powerful countries in the world with a strong modern army. The people of Algeria wanted their country back. Imagine that. How do you compete with a strong, powerful army that is occupying your country? Well, they threw bombs into movie theaters. They made life unpleasant for the French so that the French had to leave. The French, of course, called that terrorism. The Algerians called it national liberation. I am opposed to killing innocent civilians for any reason, in any cause. But we must understand the dilemma that an occupied people feel. So Israel's long-term best interests lie 
with leaving the West Bank, creating a Palestinian state which will live in peace with Israel. We, the United States, can guarantee this peace. This has been our policy under both Republican and Democratic administrations. Yet Israel, which, as you mentioned, receives this massive amount of aid from the U.S., rejects our advice. We give this aid with no strings attached. Wouldn't it make more sense to say to Israel that we will continue to provide you with this aid if if you leave the occupied territories and make peace with the Palestinians? In fact, we as Americans, as American taxpayers, are subsidizing Israeli occupation. Yeah, we certainly are. This is not in our best interest, and it's not in Israel's best interest. You know, as the saying goes, friends don't let friends drive drunk. Mm. And those of us who... What Israel is doing, and I'm so happy that there are so many idealistic men and women in Israel who want peace with the Palestinians, who oppose the occupation, who want genuine Jewish values to be promoted. I think there's probably, my sense is, I mean, I haven't been to the state of Israel since 1981, but my sense is it's probably more uh, peace uh, sentiment there, you know, of getting along with the Palestinians, making peace, stopping, you know, making war on them in Israel than there is among Jewish Americans right now. It, it just seems to, you know, Israel right or wrong. And, I, you know, that may be some way of nationalism, but, you know, I, I consider myself a Jew. I'm an American. I am not an Israeli. And you also, you cite some interesting words on nationalism from Rabbi Morris Lazaron. He said, Judaism cannot accept as the instrument of its salvation the very philosophy of nationalism, which is leading the world to destruction. Was he considered at the time to be far off base? How is it that his view has become so forgotten and dismissed by so many mainstream American Jews? How did that happen? Well, I, I think that on the one hand, the people in Israel who want peace, who want to treat the Palestinians in a humane way, unfortunately, are a minority. The right wing in Israel, which wants basically to annex the West Bank, is the governing party, is a majority. And what you would have if they annexed the West Bank and East Jerusalem and made it part of Israel and did not give the Palestinians the right to vote and equal rights, what you would have basically is apartheid. Absolutely. Two groups of people living in the same territory with different levels of rights. But the hopeful thing is that there are now organizations of American Jews, groups such as Jewish Voice for Peace, J Street, Americans for Peace Now, other groups that are gaining members that are advocating justice, that are opposing the Israel right or wrong point of view. So I think this is a very hopeful, positive sign. I would say so. Bert Cohen here. 
We're talking about uh, the future of America's relationship with the state of Israel. Our guest today is Alan C. Brownfield, nationally syndicated columnist who serves as, uh, as um, uh, associate editor of the Lincoln Review and editor of Issues magazine. He's written five books, and uh, he has served on the staff of the U.S. Senate, House of Representatives, and the office of the vice president. Just curious, which vice president? What? What is that, Bert? Which vice president did you serve with? Well, Spiro Agnew. I don't <laughs> like to <laughs> say that these days, given Whoa. given how it all ended up. But when <laughs> I started, it was not negative. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, these things happen. What can I say? They paid you, and hopefully you did some uh, good work. And well, I also worked for some people I thought very highly of, Senator Thomas Dodd of Connecticut. Oh, good man. Jack Kemp of New York, a number of others. Uh huh. But uh, well, it, sometimes you can't predict what will happen. That's for sure. You never know who the uh, Supreme Court nominees will be. I mean, Nixon supported some relatively liberal, but we get off course here. What about any voices of dissent? You and I have no doubt heard the phrase. You know what I'm about to say: self-hating Jew. If we dare to criticize Israel or the actions of the right-wing government, we get called that. There's a lot of concern these days about stifling dissent on college campuses. In fact, uh, a course, I just read this morning that a, a course was suspended in the middle of a semester at uh, the University of California at Berkeley. Uh, well, they've reinstituted it. Ah, that was quick. I just I just saw that. <laughs> they reinstituted it, but... You know, Bert, the term self-hating Jew yes. is a kind of nonsense term, especially in America. Anyone who does not want to be Jewish can simply cease being Jewish and become something else or nothing. Besides, self-hating Jew would characterize the biblical prophets. What Hosea, do you mean? Jeremiah. What were they doing in the Bible? They were criticizing their fellow Jews for not living up to God's word. Wow. So the idea of holding <laughs> Jews to a high moral standard and criticizing them when they fail to meet it is part of the great Jewish tradition of the prophets. Interesting. I mean, shall we accept immoral behavior when Jews do it? but object when other people do it? That seems to be what the term self-hating Jew means. Uh, It's an effort to silence opposition, just as calling non-Jews who criticize Israel anti-Semites is a way to silence opposition. I remember once, you may remember the syndicated columnist Carl Rowan. Yes, Well, I once had a talk with him many years ago, uh, and he said, Alan, I can write about any subject in the world and take the most extreme stand, and no one criticizes me, no one sends me a letter, no one calls me on the phone. But when I make the slightest criticism of Israel... I get all these calls calling me an anti-Semite and other names, so I just don't write about that anymore. Mm. 
Wow. So, That's... unfortunately, name-calling is an effective way to silence criticism. Wow. But it's not succeeding. I mean, I, I just wanted to make a, a point. Sure. When we're talking about Jewish opposition, many prominent American Jews who formerly were Zionists have now turned against Zionism. In August, in an article in the Israeli newspaper Haaretz, mm -hmm. Professor Hatia Diner of New York University's Center for Jewish History and Babson College history professor Marjorie Feld said they are no longer Zionists. They particularly criticized Israel's occupation, and they said that the law of return can no longer look to me as anything but racism. Now, the law of return is a law in Israel which says that anyone who has a Jewish grandfather can emigrate to Israel and become full citizens. Right. Palestinians who have lived in what is now Israel for a thousand years don't have that right, but left at the time of the 1948 war have no right to return. But anyone that has one Jewish grandfather can go to Israel and become a citizen. Another Jewish critic, Rabbi David Gordas, a former leader of the American Jewish Committee and former vice president of the Jewish Theological Seminary, wrote in Tikkun that Israel is a failure and the Zionist dream has curdled into Jewish selfishness. Mm. So the number of prominent Jews, former Zionists, who are speaking out, is growing. And I think this trend will certainly continue. I think it will, too. We talked about the generational divide at the beginning of the show, and it is, it is really true. And I, I have to say, I was a delegate at the Democratic National Convention, and as you know, the platform of the Democratic Party is pretty pro-Israel. You know, it continues the same course that both Republicans and Democrats have taken. No criticism at all. But there was a large presence throughout the delegation on, on, for Hillary, for Bernie, whatever. A lot of people were wearing, I support human rights for Palestinians. And th that was very, very interesting to me. And it indicates, yeah, it hasn't made it into the platform yet, but I do think it is inevitable. Somebody actually brought in a Palestinian flag and, uh, to the convention floor. It's happening. It is really happening. You argue, go ahead, you're about to say something. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Uh, I think that Bernie Sanders, yeah, he when punch. he made a speech that particularly talked about Palestinian rights yeah. and was hailed by the audience, indicated that it is no longer politically dangerous to embrace the rights of Palestinians. Right. So I give, I give Bernie Sanders high marks on that, and perhaps the debate will change. I think it will. Things don't happen overnight. Right. Gru groups like APAC and others that provide large amounts of money, people like Sheldon Adelson, Ugh. who ironically, I read, just gave $20 million to the Donald Trump campaign. Oh, my God. Uh, these people use their money to defend 
Israel's occupation, but they are not doing Israel any favor. No. Because the occupation is a disaster for Israel. It violates not only its moral standing in the world, but in the end, if it does not withdraw from this territory, there will be the so-called one-state solution in which the Jewish population will be a minority in the combined territory. Yes. So I think, uh, I think things are changing. I think you're right, Bert. Well, I certainly uh, hope so. And, uh, you know, being Jewish and caring about doing the right thing, it amazes me how, you know, you can criticize anything. But if you dare criticize Israel just at all, any bit of their policies, you get, you know, tarred with the label anti-Semitic. And I, I just find this uh, rather amazing. And let's face it, the, there have been in recent years, a lot of attacks on Jews around the world, in in Europe, in France in particular, and lots of different places. And I can't help but wonder if the anger that a lot of people feel against uh, the Israeli occupation and Israeli racism, basically, if, they, if people think, oh, all Jews are Israel. And doesn't that... Uh, really, that that belief that that Israel equals world Judaism doesn't that uh, terribly increase uh, the danger to Jews around the world? Well, I think I think that's right. When Israel claims not to be the country of its own citizens, but claims sure. to be the representative of Jews all around the world, some people are going to believe it. it this has no basis. In fact, no one has given Israel the authority to speak for Jews in any other country. But you may remember that after the terrorist attacks in France, in Belgium, Mm -hmm. in Denmark, Prime Minister Netanyahu visited those countries. And what he said to the Jews in particular in France and Denmark was, you must all come to Israel, your real home. This is not your home. This is a dangerous place. Of course, Netanyahu was then denounced by the chief rabbi of Denmark and the chief rabbi of France, who said, we are Danes, we are French. This is our country. I mean, Zionism has a worldview that is completely at odds with what the vast majority of Jews in every free Western country believe. And it does make life more dangerous for Jews in other countries, because those who want to take any action against what they view as Israel's improper behavior viewed local Jews as surrogates of Israel because they have believed what the Israelis said. Yeah, that seems to be the case. I mean, you know, still my impression of of Jewish Americans is that the vast majority of are Zionists and are, you know, Israel can do no wrong. But you assert, and I find this interesting, that, quote, the overwhelming majority of American Jews were never really Zionists. How is it then that I have this perception that the majority are Zionists? What explains that? And, well, and well, Bert, I just want to... There's a difference between even those Jews you speak 
speak with who may may take an Israel right or wrong position right and may try to defend whatever Israel does are not really Zionists because they if you ask them do you believe you are in exile do you believe that America is your country do you believe Israel is your real homeland they would say no in fact Zionism in America was altered. Louis Brandeis, Mm -hmm. who was an early Zionist leader, said American Jews are at home in America. We want to help those Jews in need to find a place where they can live a decent and free life. Uh But we are Americans. So even the early American Zionists understood that no American Jews felt Israel was really their country. I shouldn't say no, because there are, of course, some who do have that feeling, and they have every right to that point of view, and they should then feel free to emigrate to Israel. Uh, But I think most American Jews, while, as you say, may support Israel, they're not actually Zionists. They are not Zionists. And... If they learned a bit more about Israel, Mm. they would not be as supportive. For example, Mm -hmm. American Jews are great advocates of religious freedom. Jewish organizations have gone to court to remove non-sectarian voluntary prayer from our public schools, something which they do not believe needs to be done in Israel. Israel is a theocracy. Mm-hmm. Israel has a state-appointed chief rabbi. Reform Jews in Israel have no rights at all. A reform rabbi in Israel cannot perform a wedding, cannot perform a funeral, cannot perform a conversion. People that are converted to Judaism by reform rabbis in America, their conversions are not even recognized in Israel. Indeed, the Orthodox rabbi, Haskell Lukstein, who converted Donald Trump's daughter Ivanka to Judaism, was rejected by the Orthodox Jewish court in Israel. I mean, there's a vast difference. How is it that American Jewish groups can be in favor of complete separation of church and state in the United States, but fully support a theocracy in Israel? That is is a good question, and I certainly don't have the answer to that. And this sense that uh, about, you know, that most American Jews never really were Zionists and that Traditionally, uh, we have not been Zionists in, in American Jewish history. What, and, and one thing I've learned in the study of history and that is that in order to make myth, there has to be an intentional forgetting. Was concern about Zionism, anti-Zionism, intentionally erased from our collective memory, do you think? How did, how did this come about, that we forgot about this? Well, that's, that's, that's a good question, and I don't have, have a good answer. Uh, the emotions that were stirred by the horrors of the Nazi period yeah. 
have dominated for the last 75 years. I think as we move further and further away from that period, we will look at Judaism, Jewish life, Israel, in radically different ways. There's also a change in the view of American younger people in particular about their role in society. The older Jewish community has, and of course, I am part of that older (laughs) community. Uh, That part, I never had this view, but they do, that there's a kind of us versus them Uh attitude. That Jews Hmm. have to kind of stick with one another because the whole world is against us. Right. I never had that feeling. I never encountered that. Nor did I. I mean, I always felt that Judaism was a religion. Yes. My friends were Episcopalians or Presbyterians or Baptists. Uh, We all went to different religious institutions, Uh, but we were all Americans. I never felt this us-versus-them attitude. And as Professor Waxman points out in his book, with 70% of non-Orthodox Jews now marrying non-Jews, we have a much more complicated population. We have a population that is not only Jewish, that is made up of people of all races and religions and ethnic backgrounds. If Judaism is going to survive in America as a religion, it must be a religion that welcomes people of all races and ethnicities and backgrounds. If it has something legitimate to say to them about how to live one's life, about what God expects of us, of what is right and wrong, then it will thrive. But if it seeks to be a narrow, tribal enterprise, it will inevitably fail, because this goes against everything that we, as Americans, believe in. Hmm. Wow, that is very sobering, kind of frightening. Historically, you know, just trying to figure out when the change started to happen, you've suggested that a major turning point in the uh, sentiment of American Jews toward Israel occurred in 1982, in June 1982, with the Israeli invasion of Lebanon. I remember, as I was reading that, I remember I get that sense, too. It seemed so over-the-top aggressive. How did what happened there start to undermine the widely held, idealized image of Israel? Well, I think that what you're referring to is the uh, the massacre of Palestinians at the Sovereign. refugee camps at Shatila, and uh, the, this was under Ariel Sharon's government. Mm-hmm. The, until then, and this is a point that a number of authors have, have made, American Jews viewed Israel in very idealistic terms. Yes. They viewed Israel as if it were like America, except in the Middle East, a place that respected human rights, a place that respected religious differences, 
a place where there was religious freedom and democracy. And slowly they became aware that Israel was really not quite that kind of place. Israel was really not like Denmark or Sweden in the Mm. Middle East. Mm. It was a place, in a way, much more like the Middle Eastern countries that surrounded it, with a state religion, with state financing that religion. Uh, In Israel, a Jew and a non-Jew cannot get married. There is no such thing as civil religion in Israel. Uh, Any Jew who wants to marry a non-Jew must leave Israel and get married someplace else. Many people go to Cyprus for this purpose. Under international law, Israel is obligated to recognize the legitimacy of a marriage performed legally in another country. How would American Jews feel if we had a system like that in the United States, where there was no such thing as civil marriage, no such thing as a justice of the peace or a judge being able to marry people of different religions or no religion? And I'm guessing that... Israel keeps saying that it has religious freedom, but it has less religious freedom than any country in the Western world. Yeah, and most American Jews don't know that. No, they believe in. Only they're coming to understand it. It's the Israel of their dreams and the Israel of reality are really two quite different things. Yeah, dream is not reality, and this this uh, invasion of 1982. I'm guessing that people started to see. I mean, a lot of us, you know, frankly, don't even remember the Israeli invasion of Lebanon, but it was very aggressive. And as you said, there were those massacres. So maybe that was one thing that, you know, is a measurable, quantifiable uh, difference of of when attitudes started to change. And you talk about, you know, Jewish tradition of, of ethics. To me, that's what it's about, morality, doing the right thing. I've, I've gotten uh, reacquainted with uh, my faith and, and more into it than I was for a while, and uh, it's because of this sense of ethics. And as part of that, for much of the 20th century, Jews, American Jews, were traditionally in the front lines against racism in America. We allied with, you know, the the, uh, civil rights movement, and we're a big part of that. Jews and blacks worked together on that. Now, I find it very interesting that Black Lives Matter has allied itself so clearly with Palestinian rights groups. There's, uh, I, I wonder about that. You know, how did that happen? How did we lose the connection with, with human rights, with civil rights, and you know, the fact that Black Lives Matter is aligned with Palestinians? Shouldn't that concern a lot of uh, American Jewish leaders that maybe Israel is doing well, the wrong thing? I, I'm, I'm certainly. No, no expert on the, the Black Lives Matter group, but I do know that what has particularly concerned many Jews, including those in the civil rights movement, is not its criticism of Israel necessarily, but its use of the term genocide. It accuses Israel of committing genocide against the Palestinians. Mm. Now, as I understand the term genocide, 
it means consciously to destroy and eliminate a group of people based on race, ethnic group, or religion. The Israelis have mistreated the Palestinians. But? They have expelled them in 1948 from many of their towns and villages. But they have not attempted to physically eliminate them as Hitler did the Jews. So I think the term genocide is not an accurate term to use uh, to describe Israel's treatment of the Palestinians. They also use the term apartheid. Right. I think the term apartheid is more and more legitimate when it comes to the occupied West Bank, when you have two groups of people, Israeli settlers, and ironically, many of these Israeli settlers are right-wing Orthodox American Jewish immigrants. So they, in effect, have more rights in the occupied West Bank than Palestinian families that have lived there for a thousand years. Now, it is apartheid when you have two families living on the same street, and one has complete legal rights and the other doesn't. So I think Black Lives Matter might be accurate in the use of the term apartheid. At least it's a debatable question. But they also support the boycott divestment and sanctions movement, which would boycott products from Israel. Uh, And that is something that most Jewish organizations oppose, although some support it, such as Jewish Voice for Peace. There are legitimate arguments to be made on both sides of, of that subject. But, you know, for a variety of reasons, Black Lives Matter associates itself with third world peoples that it believes have been treated badly. But I I'd have read their their document and some of their positions are by any standard rather extreme uh-huh. and not necessarily in keeping with the views of most black Americans. For example, They call for an end to private schools. They call for an end to charter schools. They call for undocumented immigrants having a right to vote. So I think there are a lot of legitimate criticisms to be made of the platform Black Lives Matter has adopted. But the thing that I think concerns Jewish organizations most is the use of the term genocide. Yeah, yeah, that's that's just irresponsible certainly there's just no way it's it's genocide that's that's an extreme exaggeration we you know there are other injustices but that's that's extreme and that's that's just not accurate just a, a few minutes left i wanted to ask the erosion for support of israel in america do you expect it to eventually affect continued military support for israel by our government what about israel itself is it possible that the increase in criticism by Jewish Americans might reach into Israel itself and compel their government to change course on Palestinian rights, since Jewish money, Jewish American money, 
American government money is so important. If if this happens, might the divisive, acrimonious discussion among Jewish Americans that we've had over the past 50 years or so turn out to have been positive and productive? Well, I, I, I think that if major American Jewish organizations made it clear to Israel that American Jews view with dismay Israel's mistreatment of the Palestinians, its lack of religious freedom, and its movement away from democracy. This cannot help but have a positive effect. Many people in Israel that believe in democracy, that oppose the occupation, regularly urge American Jews to speak out. And I think that groups like Jewish Voice for Peace, like J Street, are having a very positive and beneficial effect. Uh, I think that this massive new U.S. military aid package to Israel, with no strings attached, Mm. is a serious mistake. I mean, Israel will now be getting $38 billion a year every year for 10 years. That's $300 from every American taxpayer. This is to a wealthy country that has the strongest military in the region, that has, as Colin Powell's emails counts, Mm. 200 nuclear weapons. Mm. It makes no sense. I would not object to aid for Israel if we had strings which called for an end to the occupation and peace with the Palestinians. Yeah, well, Bert, say, would you mind if I gave our website? I was to just going to ask. Yes, I was just going to ask you to do that. Oh, thank you. The website of the American Council for Judaism is www. Capitals A C J N A. That's A C J N A. dot org. Or I guess if you just type American Council for Judaism in, you'll get our publications. Well, thank you. And who knows if he gets support or so maybe some not so supportive email. Thank well, you. That's okay. That's okay. We don't demand that everyone agree with us. We're always ready for a conversation. Sounds really good. Thank you so much, Alan Bronfield. Great to have you on this and uh, for the work you're doing. We're all keeping democracy alive. Thank you. Thank you, Bert. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Yes, it's just another.